0: Thank you for having me this morning. My wife and my kids are all here. Um, You know, we we came down from Torrance this morning very early on, all the way from down the 405 so my connection, uh, you know, oh do we have our our slides up? Here we go, wonderful. Let's see how this works. Uh, the, the, The connection that I have mostly well, in terms of bringing me here this morning, is this guy. I don't know if you know him, Ryan. <laughs> um, if you know Ryan, I guarantee that you have not known him as long as I have known him. We have known each other since uh, the womb. Like our, our parents were friends before we were even born. So uh, this, this photo is close to 30 years old. I had to dig it out of a closet Find it in something that we used to call a photo album with one of those magnetic pages that you have to rip up and you're like, oh, this is gonna ruin the photo. Um, Something rather of the past. Now, of course, if you wanna see a picture of uh, my family, my kids and my wife and myself, all I have to do is whip out my iPhone, right? And there it is. And most of us are in this kind of hybrid situation. We have some pictures. They're hard copies, unscanned. They're somewhere in a closet somewhere. If you were married more than 10 years ago, like we were, maybe you have the negatives in a shoebox somewhere. And then there are some of us also, we went through the digital photo revolution. That means that, that you actually have a, a digital camera. Uh, if that's true, then you're also like us. You have a, a folder on your computer somewhere that's just chock full of thousands upon thousands of digital photos. You've realized finally that without film, you could shoot as many pictures as you want willy-nilly. You've got pictures of the ground and your shoes, and they're all in this, this, this folder here. And so all of these precious memories potentially can be in so many different places. The dream for most of us, and it's a dream, <laughs> is that someday... Somehow, we would have them all scanned and cataloged and arranged in one place. And that they would be safely backed up. That's the dream, right? Safely backed up. That we would have all of our pictures, past, present, and somehow in the future, nicely arranged in one file in our computers, and then copied somehow, somewhere, to the cloud somewhere. And then if you're a real dreamer, I have this dream, Somewhere in some physical storage as well. Safely tucked away somewhere in a safety deposit box or somewhere that's not in your home. A thumb drive or a hard drive or a CD or DVD. Something physical that is not with you all the time. Because we've all known someone, my friend, he touched the wrong button on his computer. All of his wedding photos deleted off of his hard drive. His only copies of his wedding photos. Or we've seen the recent hurricanes and the the wildfires and heard people say that they were not able to get all of those precious memories and remove them from their homes in time. The only surviving pictures of their grandparents or their parents or all those baby photos, all gone. With all of our precious things, this is the dream, to have some sort of assurance, some sort of insurance in our lives, to back them up, spread them around, so if the hard drive fails, we've got the cloud. If Somebody hacks the cloud, we've got a thumb drive, or a CD, or hard copies to scan all over again. We do this in every dimension of our lives. We spread our resources around for the sake of security. We have backups. That's the first rule of investing, right? Don't pull all of, your, all of your eggs in one basket. So, if you won, that one basket doesn't do well, some disaster, if the market goes down, you will never be left with nothing. So, we have, uh, ooh, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's my friend's wedding photos. So, we have IRAs, right? And not only in our IRA, you have your bank account, you might have some uh, precious. Well, if you had a tea ceremony during your wedding, you might have some gold, <laughs> precious metals. You have mutual funds. Uh, uh, oops, where'd it go? Oh, did I do that? I pressed the wrong button accidentally. Yeah. You might have some real estate, you know, your own home, you have some real estate. So if the one market goes sour, we have enough saved never to go insolvent. Even with our skills, we keep on learning and honing our skills in our professional life Different skills in different areas, so that if there's ever a layoff, we are not the one-trick pony that gets the pink, pink slip. you got to spread your bets around. Always have a backup, what we say, right? Diversify. So we believe diversification keeps us secure, so that when life's disasters come and difficulties arise, when the storm is over, you still got something. We will not be like those people after the disaster who say the fire, or the storm, or since this is Southern California, the the earthquake took everything and now we have nothing. This is our strategy to spread our bets around, but this is also our curse. We not only diversify in our investments, in our relationships, and our skills, but we instinctively diversify in our worship. That where God commands us, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Instead, to feel secure, to ensure that our lives are safe, we spread around our worship, our sense of security, and make just about any and all things gods and idols, which supplants the single-minded and all-consuming passion that God desires from us. The diversification of our worship, this idolatry, is the sickness that this morning we're going to see from the Psalms, the psalmist this morning instructs us against. The psalmist declares his undivided devotion to God in our psalm this morning and exhorts us to follow his lead. So if you've got your Bibles with you this morning, I I see there's Bibles here also along the rows here, you can turn with me to a very familiar passage. It's Psalm 121. You probably have most of this memorized already. Psalm 121. And the psalmist is going to instruct us on undivided, undivided, Diversified devotion to God. I'm going to be reading from the uh, New American Standard Version. I don't know what's down here. But if you've got your you know, Bible app, you can put it up there. Whatever you've got, right? This is the NES version I'll be reading from up here. Here the psalmist sings this. He says, I will lift my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your helper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. Now, before we get to this psalm in particular, we're studying this psalm this morning Because when I was asked to come and speak, uh, your elders, your leadership team, presented me with kind of a choice of passages, a smorgasbord. They had come together, and they had prayed and thought deeply about where your congregation is, that you're in kind of of an in-between time, a time of transition and, and journey together, where there's naturally dangers and kind of difficulties and perhaps some distractions simply because of the intermediate phase that you might find yourself in. And so this psalm seemed particularly appropriate for this morning because if you floated around this section of scripture, you might know that Psalm 121 is part of a larger collection of psalms known as the Psalms of Ascent, the Psalms of Ascent. You might even actually see that on the title of the psalm. Uh, Psalm 121 is Psalm of Ascent. This group of psalms, Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, were what we might call occasional psalms in that they were sung on certain occasions. As you know, the people of Israel commanded several times uh, in the Old Testament to gather at their capital city of Jerusalem to take part in certain festivals. Uh, so three times a year, Passover in the spring, Pentecost in the uh, early summer, and then finally this uh, Feast of Booths or Feast of Tabernacles in the fall. So all of Israel would pack up their families, they'd go join a caravan for safety's sake, and they'd journey up, ascending in elevation toward Jerusalem, because Jerusalem sat rather high on a, on a mountaintop. And so these were the songs. Psalms of ascent as they ascended toward Jerusalem that they sang. Much like we, um, we have a songbook for Christmas, right? Christmas carols. Only, we, don't, we don't sing them right now. We don't sing them in the middle of summer. We only sing them during Christmas. They had their 15 psalms of ascent sung on this journey towards their capital city. Celebrate God's provision to celebrate God's salvation, uh, his protection all of who God is, as well to celebrate this journey that they're kind of on with their their fellow Israelites. And so these are songs of celebration, but they're also songs sung during and about the journey itself, making Psalm 121 rather appropriate. It's kind of an ideal choice for your congregation harvest as it's on its own journey in the history of your, your congregation. So this week, psalmist encourages us to trust in God, but not only just trust in God, but to trust in God and in God only. The psalmist is going to guide us in his own path of how he's found God to be the sure source of security on this journey. And the psalmist's thesis is pretty simple, pretty simple. It's there in your note sheet that God is only, God is always, and God is best. God is only, God is always, and God is best. That's That's why we need only God. And this is how the psalm unpacks. First, God is only. God is only. That's what these first couple of verses are all about. He writes these very, very familiar lines. I will lift up my... Whoops, I did it again. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and earth. We know these verses. We got a song, right? I lift my my eyes up to the mountains. But usually we imagine the psalmist, in that first line, he's lifting his eyes up to the mountains, looking for God himself. That somehow in troubled times, if you looked up to the mountains, God would send some sort of calvary, someone to come and help you, over the mountains. Or maybe the psalmist is looking to the mountains because he's looking heavenward, up. You know, the mountains are up, the heavens up. Maybe this is what the psalmist is looking for in terms of heavenly deliverance. But in fact, in the Old Testament times, what is more likely is that the psalmist knows that on top of the mountains, surrounding all of the countryside, were altars. Altars. We see this throughout the Old Testament. They were called high places. You can barely get away from this in the Old Testament record. The idol worship that was prevalent all over the place, the the kind that consistently tripped up the kings and all of Israel and all of Judah, these all occurred on these mountaintop altars called by God the high places. Just a cursory browsing of the term high place throughout the Old Testament brings up pages and pages of results. Leviticus 26.30, God says, I then will destroy your high places and cut down your incense altars and heap your remains on the remains of your idols, for my soul shall abhor you. These high places were the center of idol worship. Numbers twenty two forty one. 41. Then it came about in the morning that Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of Baal. And he saw from there a portion of the people. Here the high places were associated with that constant uh, Old Testament thorn in the side that false god, Baal. Numbers 33, 52. Then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you and destroy all of their figured stones and destroy all their molten images and demolish all their high places. Again, here, figured stones, molten images, places of idol worship. Finally, Deuteronomy twelve two tells us that just how rampant this was, all of the place. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods, On the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. High mountains, top of hills. Perhaps, presumably, because this is where they thought they were closer to their gods, where gods dwelt. And so when the psalmist says, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains, from where shall my help come from? The psalmist is saying, this is what the practice of the day was, looking for help from other gods, but from where does my help really come? It doesn't come from those mountaintop places. His question is answered actually in the negative. Instead, the help of the psalmist comes, as verse 2 says, from the Lord. The Lord who is not simply a God, somewhere of water or sky or sun, up at the, wherever those might be, or any part of creation. The psalmist's help comes from The Lord, who is the creator of all of the creation, the heavens and the earth. That's the contrast. The psalmist lifts his eyes to the mountains and might have been tempted to call on those other gods. But no, his help comes from the Lord, the proper name of God, who is over all of these pantheons of other supposed gods. That's the psalmist's first refrain, that God is only. God is the only real source of help. Psalmist's second refrain is that God is always... God is always. These verses that follow now compare and contrast our God with all of these other gods that the Israelites would have been tempted to worship as they traveled along their journey and appease. Our God, the Lord, in verse 3, will not allow your foot to slip. In other words, the Lord is not inattentive. Our God, the Lord, will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will not slumber nor sleep. This is over and over all, uh, above above these false gods, these Baals, who it was believed took long naps and, and whose priests, their foremost job was to awaken Baal. Remember Elijah, 1 Kings uh, 18, we, we teach this to the kids in Sunday school, right? He challenges the priests of Baal and, and to call on your god Take the offering, burn up the offering, but dance around and cut themselves and chant as they might. Baal didn't come. Elijah's taunt. Remember Elijah's taunt? Call out with a loud voice, for he is a god. Either he's occupied, which meant, um, you know, in the restroom, (laughs) or gone aside, or is on a journey, or perhaps he's, he's asleep and needs to be awakened. The psalmist is telling us, our god He's not like Baal. Baal needs naps. God the Lord isn't like them, does not need to be awakened. He who keeps you will not slumber nor sleep. We have a God who is all-seeing, always seeing, always caring, always superintending all of creation and your life in particular as well and loving us, and guiding us, and shepherding his people, we need not wake God. In fact, more often, it's God who's waking our hearts. That's the psalmist's second refrain. God is always, always awake, always there, always our God, and guardian, and protector, and savior for us. And then the psalmist's final point is simply that God is best. God is best. These remaining verses extol God's protective power from all things. That if we want insurance and assurance and comfort and confidence, the Lord God is our keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in, this time forth and forever. Uh, these Not talking about like sunscreen or anything like that, you know, not smi- the sun and moon not smiting you. These are written to show us the power of God, that as was with the pantheon of pagan gods in the day, the most powerful in all of these systems were generally the gods of the sun or the gods of the moon. They were the top dogs in the pantheons of gods. And so what the psalmist is saying is God, our God protects us from the most powerful of all of the threats that are out there. Of all the other gods, all the other forces that might threaten to afflict us, if those forces might be the sun or the moon God, then our Lord the God, our God, serves us as a shade from them, He protects us from all evil, keeps our soul wherever we might be. Not that bad things don't befall us. not that Christians are immune to financial difficulties or immune to persecution or never experience any kind of hardship, but that God is in control. God sees us in those times and sees our affliction, and God never abandons us. God is not weak because of those difficulties, but God allows those circumstances in his sovereignty in order to shape and mature and use us. God is always in control. And is most, most relevant among the Psalms, of his, this traveling song, God will guard our going out and our coming in. From this time forth and forever, for those people who are on the journey. He's always gonna be with you. Literally, for these Israelites on their way to and from Jerusalem, and perhaps literally, but also figuratively. For us, when we are between places from point A to point B in our lives or in the life of our congregation, if you're in between some sort of leadership change from point A to point E, or any time we feel exposed or tempted to call on something or someone else or place our hope in that future person, don't misdirect your hope. We need to trust in the Lord and in the Lord alone. And so Psalm 121 is so much more than just a song about the greatness of our God. It's a psalm about the greatness of our God and that in light of his great power, we don't have to seek any other source of salvation or assurance or insurance. God is the one who keeps us. We are, as the Ten Commandments would tell us, uh, worship and serve him only. Now, in particular... Uh, we can take three applications from today's Psalm of Ascent. First, we are to have no other saviors. Have no other saviors. This uh, That's what the psalmist is singing here. I lift my eyes up to the mountains, but oh, that's, that's not going to do anything. There's no reason to do that because where does my help come from? Not from anywhere else. Not from the mountains, not from the al- altars, not from the high places, not from other gods that are not God at all. The didn't need a backup. He didn't feel like, what if God doesn't come through? What's my plan B? His help comes from the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Lord, translating into the proper personal name for God, the unique name given by God to Moses to worship him, Yahweh. And the psalmist invites us to sing along with him. That help comes from nowhere else, no other gods. Nothing else provides our security for us. Not education, not investments, not our legacy handed out down to our kids, not our health or, or uh, looks or your grades or accomplishments, none of those things. And the Apostle Paul writes uh, us as New Testament believers the exact same sentiment. He says this in Philippians 3, but whatever things were gained to me, Those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. That all that we have and all that we place security in, they're not real forms of security after all. Only God keeps us. Only God is our real source of help. We ought not look at anything else as his substitute. And this is especially true on this side of the cross. Because the work of saving us, the work of saving our lives, all of the assurance, all of the comfort, all of the peace, all of the forgiveness, and the blessing that we have needed and need right now in your life, right now, on this side of the cross, it's already been supplied. So it makes no sense whatsoever to go seeking assurance or comfort or peace or anything else from any other source, because all of those things, every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ has already been given to us through the death and resurrection of our Lord. We have no other saviors, because we need no other saviors, because we have already been saved. Uh, This is really old, but I hope you you remember this guy. I don't even know what to call him. The mayhem. I think he calls himself the mayhem man, right? You remember these ads that were on television? is like 10 years ago, maybe. But he's the guy who represents all the crazy things that could go wrong in your life. The wind that blows the tree branch down on your car. He's like up there. He's shaking it down, right? He's the wildfire that rolls across your neighborhood and devastates your home and property and all your memories. He's the teen driver that's texting. Sorry, teen teens, if you're here. We always, like, victimize them. but he, <laughs> Some of you text, too, right? And not looking at the road. He's there so that we think to ourselves, oh, no, what if that happens to me? What if mayhem comes knocking on my door? But most of us, most of us console ourselves in the fact that we live, well, we've, mo- we've moved into a community that is so safe. This is Irvine. <laughs> you are the, in the womb of humanity. This is like the most safe place in the world. We aren't in the Northeast with the blizzards, with the snow damage. We're not in the Midwest with the tornadoes. You're not in the South with the hurricanes. You're not in San Diego County. You're not in, the, in LA County with all of the fires. You're in Irvine. Irvine—it's the safest of safe places, until the next earthquake, probably right. And for most of us, that is our—that's our big natural disaster fear, right? Earthquake is it. Tsunami, nah. Flood, nah. Fire, yeah, probably not. Snowstorm, not. Nah. Heat wave, Eh, maybe. But really, it's earthquake. Twitch. Some of our minds, my my mind, it hops to well, no problem. I have earthquake insurance. (laughs) I'm not like those people in Florida or Texas who didn't have flood insurance. I'm not like those people in in the hills of Southern California who didn't have fire insurance. I'm not like all those other unprepared people. I'm covered. I'm in good hands. I and my family are safe. But that's not where our minds are supposed to go. That, are, that is not where our minds are supposed to go. We aren't supposed to say, well, at least I have my health or my popularity or whatever will be our saving grace that cannot be taken away from me, right? Your parents used to say, oh, you get an education. That can't be taken away. We aren't supposed to put our trust in our financial security or educational background or the fact that we might have secure leadership in our church or our community because God is supposed to be our source of security and help. We are to say, we can stand in the Lord who made heaven and earth. Bring on all the Jovian disasters, because God is my God. All can be taken away. Fire, flood, flunking, unemployment, death. Nothing can separate us from God's help and eternal security. The death of Christ has won us life with God, and in this life, and in the life after our lives. And so we can have joy. We can have confidence. We can have security in Christ Jesus. We have no other saviors, no other reasons for life. God is our protector. So we have no other saviors. Where does our help come from? Only God. What else are we invited to sing from the lips of the psalmist? We are to fear no other gods. Fear no other gods. That because God is the only and the one true God, there's nothing that can harm us outside of his will. The sun, man, nah. The moon, no. Nah will not smite us. There's no other smiting going on. The Lord protects us from all evil. He keeps our soul. And this is an important clarification. If we read this psalm and say, everything is rosy for believers all the time. Our foot never slips. We never get a sunburn. We never suffer harm or loss or difficulty. We're really not singing a song that we know to be true and not a song that's consistent with the rest of Scripture. We do have difficulty. People in our lives get hurt and hurt us. We go into recession we don't get the, the, into the college of our choice or nail that job interview all of the time. We feel inadequate as parents, as children, and all around of us. Some things don't go our way. Church life might not be as easy as you would want it to be. It might get difficult, whatever stage of history we, we might find ourselves in. The psalmist isn't saying that God takes away all danger. But the psalmist is saying that there's no source of difficulty no God that is so strong that can attack us or penetrate the strong defense of our God. God is our keeper. He's our guard and he's our shield. And we have no need to fear difficulties that are out of God's control. We don't have to pad our lives all around against all of the dangers that might come our way. We not, may, need not live in fear and appease the naysayers all of the time. We don't have to constantly be thinking of the worst-case scenarios all of the time. This was why ancient believers in fact, worshiped other gods. We keep seeing Israel uh, straying and worshiping. Why would they do that? Come on, get it through your heads. You are cheering throughout the Old Testament. Why would you go to the other idols? They hedged their bets because the cause of their worship was not love for these other idols. It was fear. The Jews worshiped the one true God, but they felt compelled to spread a little worship around to Moloch and Baal and Zeus and Athena because what if they are in charge of my crops? What if they are in charge of the storm that comes my way? They did it to appease other gods, just in case. Just in case. But God says, no, nothing else. Don't honor the sun, don't honor the moon. The Lord has it under control, He's our protector. We don't need to spread the investment of our souls around to the other idols. Put some money, some in friendships, some here and there, because we fear the bottom falling out of our lives. Because God is the God of our whole lives. And God is our sovereign protector. In your Facebook accounts, most of you Facebook people, you know, I run mine probably like you run yours. You have current friends. People are friending you right now. Then you have people who contact you from way, way back. I have a few Facebook friends from elementary school, um, People, they're just a smudge in my memory, right? You're like, oh, I know their name, I know their face, I remember what they looked like when they were six years old, but, eh, uh, okay, I'll friend them. But then there's, uh, there's this one person from a long time ago who not only friended me but, like, wanted to actually have a conversation. <laughs> uh, his name was uh, Major, Major, Major Harris. He's a junior high friend, friended me a while back, instantly messaged me, struck up the thing. And frankly, I always wondered, what happened to Major? I wondered if he went into the military. Right? Cuz that would be cool. And in fact, he did. But he never achieved that rank. So it wasn't like, oh, Major Major. And then of course, we reminisced. And he remembered me as very This is the one thing that he said to me. He's like, "You're a really small kid." I'm like, "Oh. Great. That's how you rem- Yes, I was the smallest person in my whole school, I was the second smallest. If you actually look at my junior high thing, I still have the seating chart of our graduation. I was seated right in front because I was the smallest. And I told him, I remember hanging around you, Major, because you were my opposite. Major was this grand, big, hulking kid. This was junior high, he had facial hair. (laughs) Right? I'm like, who is this man? By far the biggest kid in all of our class, if not the school. That was the first thing that I recounted to him about him. The second was that, although he was big, and he could have bullied anybody, uh, Major was a gentle giant, and he still is. He calls me every so often, we talk a little bit. Always nice, always easygoing. And I remember one of the things that we used to do is, he'd go, okay, Major, you do this, and that. He would would say, okay, go hit me right in the solar plexus, and I would hit him as hard as I could. And he'd he'd just kind of laugh. And everybody would be like, oh, that's awesome, man. He's so small, he's so big. And frankly, I told him, you know why you're such a great friend, Major? Because in our group, in our group of little, little, you know, junior high friends, nobody ever bothered us. Nobody, not the eighth graders, because he was bigger than the eighth graders. <laughs> they never bullied us or teased us because, frankly, Major was there, and he was ominous and he was imposing. He was bigger. And God is saying, if you're with Him, there's nothing bigger. There's no reason to pay homage to anything else, to invest our security in anything else, to fear anything else, because he's our keeper. Have no other saviors, fear no other gods, and finally, trust God for security. Trust God for security. Worship him, call out to him, invest in him, be secure in God alone. Know that he is our plan A and B and C. We are, he's, all of our plans. We are too busy spending our time and spreading our time and our hearts out to try and save stuff and invest stuff because it will keep our memories or our finances or ourselves safe. Convinced that, oh, education will keep you safe, or a home will keep you safe, or a soulmate will keep you safe, or a legacy, or anything we long for that serves as our home plate. We're striving to get there these we we believe in more than our God. God says, stop that. Stop striving. Everything is already gotten for you. Jesus has finished all the work that needs to be worked. All the security that you might desire, you are more secure in the hand of God than anywhere else. This is the freedom that the gospel brings to our lives. Jesus through the cross has brought us to a place and bought us through that place. He's brought us unshakable assurance we know whose we are and we know where we're going That's the whole point of this famous ending verses of romans chapter 8 who will bring a charge against god's elect god is the one who justifies who is the one who condemns christ jesus is he who died yes rather who was raised who is at the right hand of god who also intercedes for us who will separate us from the love of christ will tribulation Or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, nothing. God is saying that our relationship with Him is secure. Our hope in heaven is secure. Our life is superintended by God's care and His will. This is the great blessing of the gospel that we now can be singular in focus, loving the Lord with all of our our God, with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. We need not serve anyone else. We need not diversify and spread our investments because God has us covered. Our salvation is something that has already been won and is already secured. Who do we lift our eyes up to? What makes us anxious and hurried and worried about our personal lives, our church lives, our work lives? Who are our other masters? Our help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. Let's pray. God, in you and in you alone goes our trust. And it is not a far step of faith because you have already proven to us through your son Jesus Christ that the work has been done and cannot be taken away. And so, as cliche as it may be, in God, we do trust. And so, teach us that every day as we go about trying so desperately so many times to keep ourselves secure. That that is a futile, futile uh, path for us. God, our trust is in you and you alone we thank you. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who walks with us day by day. And we pray these things in his name.